Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. We've got a fun episode coming at you guys here tonight. I'm actually really excited about it. So just to let the cat out of the bag really early here, yesterday morning we got into we had an interview with Catherine Silverman, whose work has appeared a ton of different places at the Athletic, in goal, elite prospects. We talked about goalies, we talked about John Gibson, Lucas Dostal, and so we're going to plug that in at the end of the show here. So if you're if you're viewing live on Twitch right now, stick around. Once we're done doing kind of our main show here, we're going to Jake is going to let it play, but that was a fun one, Jake. I'm 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 happy we did that. I was extremely tired and running on no sleep and no coffee, but it it gave me energy as yeah, we got through it. It was it was a really fun interview to do. I think it, it worked really well. I think Cat was awesome awesome with her to give us that time and basically we were yeah. planning on only making it 15 to 20 minutes and ended up going 45 minutes instead and just really kind shocker. of it, it, yeah, shocker for yeah, us fair enough fair enough but <laughs> it, it was really fun to to go through a lot of different niche things uh with goalies because i feel like with goaltending there's a whole lot of minute things you can go over that especially when there's someone who's so focused on that specific position they can just tell you so much about the little details and that's what's important with that position. I think that's what we really got into with a couple different things, talking about John Gibson, talking about Lucas Dostal, who she's a big fan of and goes into why, talking about different pad technology, talking about skates, different things like that. It was a lot of fun. And I want to add this. If you're listening to the audio version of this, that interview will also be at the very end of the show. The only place where they're not going to be together is on YouTube because the interview is a separate YouTube video. So if you're watching this on YouTube, go check out that interview in a separate YouTube video. Yeah, and just to just so nobody's caught off guard, if you're listening on the recorded version of this, the audio for the interview will be from the, our kind of Skype interview. So it, the audio quality will be a little different than our usual microphone quality here. So just just be aware. I'm the kind of podcast listener to the shows I listen to where I notice those things. So just letting you know ahead of time. But it was great. Um, the biggest thing for me was just it made me kind of reevaluate how I look at goalies a little bit because I think over the years... I per, I have gotten t- maybe a little too much into only looking at the goalie analytics that we have. And she made a lot of good points about maybe why we should be careful about completely leaning on those at this at this stage of the game. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest takeaways, she gets into this a bit more why, but maybe GSAX, we should only be looking at John Gibson versus John Gibson. And maybe that's how we need to look at it. And that doesn't change how we analyzed last season because last season – was a big dip for him in that statistic, but it was a big dip in comparison also to previous seasons. So there's a whole lot of really good takeaways. And I think honestly, that that's the biggest compliment you can give someone when you interview them is that they've made you reevaluate or reevaluate the way you think about something. And they force you to kind of yeah. question your methodology on something and make sure that you understand what you're talking about. And I think she did that for us. And I hope that she does that for all of you. Totally. And uh, a surprise guest appearance at the very end of the interview as yes, well. Yes, yes. So <laughs> if, you're watch- if, you, if you go watch the video on YouTube, we have a video up there just of the interview. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay. We've got a couple things to get into here. And by a couple, I mean about five. <laughs> so let's just get right into it. The NHL restart is slowly approaching, although <laughs> slowly might not be the right word because it's, it seems like it's at worst. Uh, a month or two away. So Jake, what's the latest on that? So the latest is the two sides have finally found some, some common ground and they've put aside the financial talk and started actually figuring out how the league's going to restart. 
the chatter that's happening is that the, the January 1 start date, it's not happening. It's just not going to. And so there are some places around the league that are that are talking about or some sort some people are saying their sources are telling them January 15th. Pierre Lebrun is one of those that is saying January 15th is when uh, when it looks like they're going to start. Uh, Brian Burke has actually said he's been told by other people that it's uh, going to be about a February one start date with the January 15th training camp start. The January 15th start would be a January one training camp start or January 2nd training camp start. The big thing here and the the reason why that training camp would kind of push is I guess players really don't want to lose Christmas. And so that's a big thing for them. Christmas is coming up. They very rarely get it. So they want to have that with their family this year. And then they're fine. Basically the 26th going straight into it if needed. The other thing that is um, a part of this is that the seven-day voluntary pre-camp um, for the seven teams not involved in the postseason does remain on the table. So if this does end up getting finished and let's say it's a January 15th start date with all teams in the league starting their camp. It's a two uh, with it being a two week camp on like January one or January two, the ducks do have the option to do a seven day or start seven days prior to that as a result of not making the playoffs. So the ducks, Kings, Sharks, centers, red wings, sabers, and devils all would file uh, fall under that. And I guess that would probably be the, the December 26th start date. Um, would be for the Ducks and uh, Kings and different teams like that. The other thing is it, it sounds like a 52 or a 56 game schedule are being um, talked about with 56 games being obviously the the more likely scenario, the one that the owners and the players want because then you get more revenue. Pretty simple on that front. Um, and basically the other big thing and the reason why they're looking at that amount of games is they want the Stanley Cup to be awarded in early July at the absolute latest. And this was a, a little nugget in the Pierre Lebrun article, and it makes complete and total sense. The Olympics are going to be this summer. So that's NBC's coverage. And so if you want to get yeah. time on NBC, you're not going to have any time during the Olympics to find, to, to put your product on TV. So it makes complete sense that the NHL wants to have their Stanley cup awarded prior to that. It makes sense that NBC wants that to happen. So that would make the most sense that that they're looking at July. And basically, if the these talks break down, different things happen where it does force into February start, I bet they the way that they would handle it would be an early or a less amount of games. One other thing I have heard, I believe it was on Hockey Central at noon, Brian Burke was mentioning this, was that the way they would try to do um, do this season more so would be kind of like a baseball format where you go and you play two to three games in one place. Uh, before you leave and so if the ducks for instance were in the same division as minnesota as we've speculated they would go to minnesota they would play in uh they would play probably two to three games maybe three games in five nights something like that all in minnesota there's your uh three games if that's however many games you end up playing against the wild in minnesota you get all of your games against the wild in minnesota out of the way in one fell swoop to limit the amount of travel and so it's a way to to not only limit COVID spread, but also limit financial issues with limiting the amount of travel. So instead of in a normal season, when you go and play the wild, let's say the ducks were playing the wild twice, you would go earlier in the season, later in the season. That's two different flights out to Minnesota and back. Um, typically on the road trip, it would be in a different all along the way, but you get the point that you're limiting the amount of airline miles that you have to put on and really reducing the cost there. So, there's a lot of info there, the, that information dump that I just did on everyone. But basically, at the end of the day, what's talked about is January 2nd start date for most teams, potential seven days earlier for the Ducks, 
January 15th is what's being talked about with the 52 to 56 game schedule. And it would most likely be all divisional. So we finally have some sort of schedule. We finally have the NHL backing off that January one date because it doesn't, it, it didn't make sense that that was going to happen. It sounds like January 15th. So what are your thoughts? Make on a all prediction. Make what, a prediction. I'm going to say it's going to be a January 15th start date. Yeah, I think that the players want that time off, you know, or they want they they want to hold on to Christmas, like you said. But I think that the players are ready to go. Yeah. I mean, if you if you kind of read between the the lines a little bit, how many players have we seen just like on their Instagrams or uh, teams reposting that uh, you know guy player X is headed back to his his team city, and you know you have players converging back to to their teams areas, so. Clearly, the, the players are revved up and are probably skating, you know, and, and, and still training at team facilities. So I think that um, January 1st definitely feels out of the question. It seems like too much would have to happen for that to be a reality. So I think my bet, if I were to if, if I were to make a prediction, although I, I want January 15th, knowing the NHL, I think it'll be maybe it'll be closer to February 1st or actually February 1st. Probably. Um, the the funny thing is is that as you mentioned with the Christmas date. Um it makes complete and total sense now that you look at this and kind of as I've thought about this and looked at that date and, and looked at a calendar on top of that, the the proposed January 2nd start date if the teams that were not in the playoffs get that 7 days extra, that aligns with December 26th on the dot. That's not a coincidence right there. The players yeah. want Christmas. They're willing to start on the 26th. All seven teams that weren't in the playoffs could start their training camp the day after Christmas. Well, also, and this is kind of unrelated, but Pierre Lebrun tweeting this weekend, you know, no hour-by-hour hour reports yet, right? So insinuating that we're not there yet, but if you frame it that way, I feel like you're kind of hinting that it is nearing that point where things are picking up, right? Yeah. We're not hour by hour yet, but things are, you know, there, there is some activity. So I think that things do look good. And, and look, I don't want to, I'm going to take a brief victory lap if, if you'll allow it. Sure. People were, people were, people were, were yelling about how there's going to be another lockout, how this is classic NHL. There's not going to be a season, greedy owners, blah, blah. And, and look where we are now. Uh, so Alan I, Walsh, Alan Walsh, uh, front and center on that. Well, Alan Walsh is look, putting it kindly, a- Alan Walsh is always speaking publicly in the interest of his clients. True. And so, <laughs> I don't need to. I mean, I'll I'll just uh, make quick reference to the very creative illustration that we saw over the summer during the playoffs. And so he's. <laughs> You can't take True. anything he's. You can't take anything he says at face value. You have to. You have to realize what is the incentive here, and who is being represented, and whose interests are being acted upon. So, anyway, I just. I'm glad I didn't fall for it. This is a, a gotcha, told you so moment. Whatever the case may be, I am petty. I'm okay with it. And now we move on. Unless yeah. you have something else you want to add. No. Okay, well, let, Ducks perspective. Quick Ducks perspective quick on Ducks, this. Quick Ducks perspective. Ducks fans, the wait is finally almost over. It will be, what, around nine months since the last time they played? 
very yes. very long period of time Clo- but closer to a year yes the the seven the extra seven days i think would be helpful just to give them a little bit of a jump start into the season um I think the only thing of interest we'll get into a little bit later, which is the world juniors coinciding potentially with that camp start. If it is a later start, like you expect of a February one start date, assuming that would mean a January 15th camp start and potentially seven days prior to that for um, the ducks that would uh, lead to there being no conflict actually, because world juniors end I believe January 5th is when they end. So um, overall, the only conflict is the very beginning of the camp. I think, from a Ducks perspective, I mean, it's exciting. This is the first little bit of news where we can say that the we have a potential date for the Ducks playing a game. We haven't been able to say that in like nine yeah. months. It, it's been a long time. And so the wait's almost over. We're And we're going to be able to see that. We finally have word of, uh, or not word, but there's finally going to be games where the Ducks can wear their, uh, their stylish new jerseys. We should talk <sighs> about that briefly. Very briefly, this about was, what this wasn't on the plan that they finally have the full lookout because of NHL 21 releasing oh. it. Eggplant pants, eggplant the, the, gloves. This this jersey storyline narrative is the gift that keeps on giving for this podcast because I think we're on four consecutive podcasts Potentially. talking about it, this now. It, I mean, I've ordered mine. Well, okay, also. So, so quick, quick breakdown. Yeah. So with the NHL 21 screenshots, now here's the thing: this isn't confirmed by the Ducks, but. If we look at all the ones that are in the game that have been released by teams, they they line up perfectly. So we can, and EA being the partner with the NHL, you have to kind of assume that this is going to be the accurate representation. So the Ducks will have eggplant colored pants with the, so they'll have the, the Mighty Ducks pants with the reverse retro jersey. They'll have eggplant colored gloves. So like they were, you know, if you go back to the 0506 season, Mighty Ducks colored socks, so like they look, I think, like the Mighty Ducks home socks, uh, the, the the eggplant colored socks, and then white helmets, much to my chagrin, I would have preferred eggplant helmets, but the Mighty Ducks look is is back in the Ducks uh, arsenal fully here, so you must be happy about I'm that. I'm so happy. I expected the Ducks to chicken out for them to do black go, pants, go black, black, black pants, pants, black gloves, black, gloves. Um, black helmet. <laughs> <laughs> no, white helmet. I mean, yeah, white white helmet we can quibble with slightly, but at the end of the day it's not that if if the only thing that you're mad about it's or cowardly. Th- is it's cowardly. that you're mad about is uh, a white helmet, then the look is overall pretty good. And so the fact that mm-hmm. they went they went full on with it, I am so excited and it's going to be so look so good on the ice. I have officially ordered my jersey from Cool Hockey. I went with the Ryan Getzloff. I realized I don't have a Ryan wow. Getzloff jersey. I should just go with it. You went Getzloff? I after, think, so was so, it on this show or the no, Patreon? It was the, pa- we, it we... was the Patreon. But here's my logic also behind it. Mm-hmm. I don't have a Getzloff jersey. I should get a Getzloff jersey. He is this going, might be his last season. This might be his last season. I should probably get one as a result of that. I also think this jersey looks really cool with a Captain C on the front. I think the letter on the front really fills the space in a way that doesn't fully happen without that letter. And so I think it looks better with a C or an A on the front. And so all that led me to wanting a Getzloff jersey. Okay. Well, yeah. So for those who don't know, we did a Patreon pod, which basically just turned into Jake trying to figure out as we were recording who who he should order. 
yeah. on the back of the jersey. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad that you landed somewhere. Yeah. Um, Thanks. But yeah, Thanks. so little <laughs> little jersey update for you there. Now, on to the next item. So the Ducks, among I think three or four other teams, are considering hosting games outdoors next season so that they can have fans, so that they can have some gate revenue. So what are the specifics on that, so if you have the, any? Yes, so the specifics on it are basically some NHL teams are exploring the option to play outside uh, due to the fact that basically the counties, the cities that they're in, definitely would not allow fans inside and would sooner allow fans outside than inside. And so the the cities that are in the mix are Anaheim, Boston, L.A., Pittsburgh. Um, and basically the reason why the Ducks are in this is because the Kings were the very first team to basically reach out to the NHL about doing this, about uh, basically putting a rink in Dignity Health Sports Sports Park. If you don't know what that stadium is because it's changed name so many times, uh, formerly StubHub Center, formerly Home Depot Center. It's where the Galaxy play. It's in Carson. Um, it is own, The reason why the games would be there is Anschultz Entertainment Group owns the Galaxy and owns that stadium, and they are the owners of the Kings. So that would be the big reason there. And basically, they came to the Ducks and were like, well, if we're doing this, would you want in? Helps uh, front the cost of that. And so that is the, the big reason uh, for doing that. And um, it sounds unlikely from what Bill Daly said, um, that this would actually happen. So sorry to throw a kind of a wet blanket uh. on all of this, but, uh, Bill Daly said, uh, it's not likely we'll play games outdoors. 2021, 2020, plans don't adequately take into account the cost associated. So basically the amount of costs that, that would go into this doesn't make it worth it for the small amount of fans that you would have there. Now, well, having, that's the thing. Having, Even if you have the outdoor game, it's not like you're going to pack the, the stadium. Correct. So, and, yeah. and, and having said that, people would probably wonder, is this possible? Could they even do it? Different things like that. Um, the uh, I think it was Hockey Central at noon when I was listening to it. Brian Burke mentioned, um, I can't remember, Dan Craig, is that the ice guru guy for the NHL that uh, does all the outdoor stuff? I think it is, Dan Craig. Um, but he mentioned that basically they could do a rink as long as it's 70 degrees outside. Anything over that is, I think, when they, they get into some issues. The biggest concern that they have is sunlight, though. And so if it's under 70 and there's sun on the rink, that can cause an issue. So maybe they would look at adding, because if you don't know, Dignity Health Sports Park is completely open. It has some shade areas over the state, over the, the seats, but it doesn't cover the field at all. So maybe they would add something over the stadium like a tent or, or during a tent the day. and then play the games at night or something like that. But um, this would only also be later in the season when the when California or LA would allow them to do this. So overall, it doesn't seem likely. It's an interesting idea. I, I want it to happen. I want it to I happen because it would I'm, be. I'm getting out ahead and saying it right now. I want I it to happen that beyond all belief. I think it would be so cool and so fun and such a weird thing to happen. And I think the Ducks and Kings playing a game outside there in their reverse retro sweaters Ooh. would be against yeah. each other. That's just such a, a iconic moment where you can turn the this awful, horrible, weird situation into a moment that everyone will remember. And it will be so cool. And so I don't think it's going to happen, but something to keep an eye on at least a little bit. I hope it happens. I, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of barriers that that seem to need to be cleared for that to actually occur. But it's cool that they're at least thinking like that, that they're trying to look for creative solutions uh, to what to what is a rough hand 
to start with. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, but it's it's good. I think things overall, it, it just kind of zooming out a little bit before we get on to the next few topics here. It feels like things are starting to, and this is even though things right now are so tough with the pandemic, it does feel like things are starting. It, it feels like there's a, there's a future now. Like there's a, there's a, there's life after this, right? Yeah. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah. You know, with all the news of vaccines and I mean, countries, I mean, you saw the UK approve a vaccine this week, uh, which is the first Western country to do so. So we're going to get to the, like, this is now a reality that's going to happen at some point, right? It's still not tomorrow. It's still not the day after it's going to be a few months from now, but it's, it's nice that we can start to think about what life will look like after this. And, and quite frankly, I am ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so okay. next bit of news, Lucas mm-hmm. Dostal, the we've yeah. talked about him coming, little, we've, we've coming talk, to America. Yes. We've talked about him a little <laughs> bit here and there on this show, obviously. And we'll, obviously you can just, hear, just a little bit. You can hear what Kat Silverman's thoughts on him are. Um, spoiler alert. She loves him. Um, <laughs> but regardless, uh, it was announced Eves or Ilves. I've never actually understand how to pronounce that Ilves. team name. Ilves. Um, put out a tweet basically saying we had, or basically his loan has, has been terminated. He's coming over to North America. And so Lucas Dostal is officially coming to Ducks. Will be the Ducks will be as a part of the training camp. Uh, more likely than not, he'll probably be in the AHL if um, if he if the AHL even happens. But here's kind of we'll let you kind of listen go about, go through listen to the Cat Silverman interview. She does a much better job than you and I could probably do about uh, talking about his game, seeing as she's seen probably more of his game than either of us have. But some of the numbers on him are just very shock, or not shocking, but they're so impressive. They're, I think, st- they're startling, startling because there, of how good they are. There was the word I was looking for. Um, but last season in the fin- er, in Liga, he had a 9.28 save percentage in 43 games. That was good for third in uh, Liga last year. And if you go and look a little bit deeper and look at guys, because last year would have been his draft plus two season. You look at uh, Liga and look at. Um, guys in their draft plus two season in the last 20 years, the best save percentage by someone in their draft plus two season was a 929 save percentage. Um, in 47 games, UC Saros put up a 929. Um, Dostal, like I said, 928 other guys in that category that have gone on to have some pretty good careers took a rask. Even some guys that have just become solid NHLers or decent NHLers. Kerry Ramos there. He's like I said, decent <laughs> NHLer. Decent. Yeah. Right. But Alexander Gorgiev, 915 save percentage in his draft plus two season in Finland. And so there are some good players that have come out of this league, some great goaltenders that have come out of this league. And oh, yeah. for him to well, be th- that fifth, league is a goalie factory. For him to be fifth all time in or fifth in the last 20 years in save percentage by someone in their draft plus two season, that is impressive. That shows you what type of game he has. And how good he is at such a young age. And the biggest thing for him now, and this may, is why it makes total sense that the, the Ducks are bringing him over, is adjusting to North American ice, adjusting to the different angles, the different play style. Because Finland uh, does not play on an olympic size rink. They play on a bit of a hybrid. It's halfway between an olympic size rink and an nhl size rink. But there is still an adjustment that comes playing on a North american size ice. And so, just for the record though, this current season... Um, Lucas Doss, I think what, what was it? 949, 941 save percentage in 11 games. So he was just otherworldly over there. Um, 
and it was time for him to come over. It's time for him to get adjusted to North American ice. And I'm really excited for what this means for the Ducks because he's not net. He may not become a John Gibson replacement in the sense of a Vezina winner, top tier goalie like John Gibson has become. But there is a ceiling there of that. And I think that is what is exciting is that you have this guy that could potentially come in and push Gibson a little bit and uh, provide an option. And worst case scenario, he becomes good and either that leads you to trade Gibson or you trade Dostal for something. And I think overall, having someone this good in your system is a good thing for the franchise overall. Um, But I mean, you look at some scouting reports. I mean, such a shame that he's 6'1". We don't worry, folks. We 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 brought this up with Cat, and um, it was good. It was good. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I won't go any further. But what's what's interesting? This is a total tangent. But with Yorgiev, I didn't realize that he played in Finland. I didn't either in, until in, looking in at Liga. this list. And I didn't even know he was Bulgarian or born in Bulgaria. So anyway, the more you know. Um, back to Dostal though. So. I think that the way I see this playing out, I think one way that this could play out, which would be interesting, is the Ducks just have the best tandem in the NHL. They yeah. don't pay they don't pay John Gibson an exorbitant amount. He's at six point four million a year. And with Dostal, who's gonna be on an ELC, um, even when he does have to be extended after that, it's unlikely he's gonna fetch this big extension unless the Ducks trade Gibson before that or Right, it just feels like he's not going to command that big money, just with the way this this hierarchy is set up. So, if the Ducks could have this excellent tandem where you can take quite a bit of of work off of John Gibson's plate, I'm thinking a clean split, you know, forty one forty one in an eighty two game season, yeah. that would be optimal. Because I think personally that in the current climate of the NHL, with how taxing the goalie position has become on goaltenders' bodies. You really want you really want to save your your starter, your 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 higher your your higher level goalie for the playoffs, and whatever you can do to get there, is how you should be strategizing your deployment. And so, the Ducks have not done a good job of that at all since John Gibson has been their unquestioned starter, um, and Ryan Miller has you know it's just it's the nature of of his age range. He's not going to be that kind of guy who's going to get up into that amount of games played, and so. It will be interesting to see what they end up doing there, but I I think that that would be the optimal way to go. And, hey, yeah. if Dostal does become so good to the point where, hey, maybe you trust him to be your, your 50-ish game starter, then maybe you do trade Gibson, but that's... That's a conversation for another well, day. We all, we haven't seen him. We haven't seen no, him play at, yeah, an yeah, NHL yeah, yeah. an NHL preseason game or an but, NHL regular season game. So, yeah, yeah, but that that's a good problem to have. Basically, it is a good. It, it's good. I mean, this is this is kind of an, an unexpected big positive point in the Ducks prospect pool because we've talked a lot about how the Ducks prospect pool is lacking in star talent and. Lucas Dostal, as far as goaltenders are concerned, is is closer to that than uh, not being you know, pot- a potential star caliber goalie, and so that's exciting, and yes. it it changes your long term outlook because it's such an impactful position that it gives you some flexibility. Now, I would still caution, right? As 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 much as we're singing his praises here, rightfully so, he's earned every bit of it. We have to see him play in the NHL, and with goalies. One thing to remember is the development curve, it takes longer for them to really get to that point where 
they're comfortable NHL starters or even, uh, you know, backups. So wait and see approach, but it's, it's good so far. It's exciting. Yep, exactly. Okay. Well, we're just rolling through here. Now this one, this one may take a little longer for reasons that Jake has forced upon the show, but you'll find out why why I'm saying that. Forced upon this show. What do you mean? World, World junior championships are happening. For those who didn't know, there's a bubble. In Edmonton, I believe. Yes. Uh, actually, it's the same as the NHL bubble. Starts, same location. Starts on Christmas Day, I believe. Or is it boxing? Uh, nope. Start on Christmas Bo- Day, exactly. So they go Christmas from Day. December 25th to actually, sorry, not January 5th. January 6th is when the potential final would be. Um, so, also, before we get into mm-hmm. this, before we get into the rosters, all those different things, Lewis brings up in our chat a good point. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the skates for the World Juniors? You the haven't skates? seen this? Oh, no. wow. Wow. I'm going to need to find this and send it to you because um, we'll need to talk about this at some point. But Bauer released that they have skates for each team to wear. And uh-huh. they basically oh, have yeah. that country's flag on the back. I see them. They yeah, those are look cool. so good. And the fact that we're actually get them, getting skates that are customized in different ways like that makes me so happy. Because I feel like skates are the one thing that the NHL should do more. Well, C- CCM is doing it as well, apparently. Oh, it, so, they are? So it's just yeah. basically no matter what manufacturer you're using, they're the, going to have that. They're going to look the so C- cool. The CCM ones actually look better. Oh, really? So, I'm going to need to look this up then. Yes. Well, so anyway, all of this... Oh, actually, this actually this was from last year's World Junior. Sorry. So CCM had actually already done this. So Bauer late to the party, but I guess they're doing it for multiple teams. Um. For the World Juniors, though, from a Ducks perspective, the Ducks have a, a handful of players that are participating in their team's respective camps, and we don't know if all of them will actually end up being on the team, but once I read you the names, we'll see how you feel. So for Sweden, Albin Sundsvik, who the Ducks drafted this year, and then for Team USA, you've got Samuel Colangelo, who the Ducks drafted in 2020, Henry Thrun, Jackson Lacombe, Trevor Zegras, and then on Canada, as you'd imagine, Jamie Drysdale. So let's go. Do you want to, how do you want to do this? How do you want to break down each, each, you want to go team by team? Sure. Let's start with Sweden. Let's get this out of the way. Um, <laughs> it will be the quickest one. Alvin Sunsvik. Does he make the team? Uh, I think there's potential there. If you look at a roster from about a month ago when they were playing some uh, development camp games against different teams, uh, Alvin Sunsvik was involved with the roster and played, I believe, a third or fourth line center role for the team. And so it seems like he does have the trust of that coach. So I wouldn't be shocked if he makes the team, but it would be in a lower six role, um, not playing huge minutes for Team Sweden um, with obviously the the bigger minutes going to guys like Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, different guys like that as compared to an Alvin Sunsvik. But I wouldn't be shocked if he makes it. I also wouldn't be shocked if he didn't make it. So I don't think he's that that high end of a player. So I don't think big take. He, they benefit necessarily from having him, but it seems like he has a spot on that roster from uh, pre-tournament games. So give me give me a couple minutes, but the SHL actually has uh, advanced stats, and I can pull those up on Sunspick. Interesting. Uh, should have probably should have probably done this. Yeah, SHL and Liga have advanced yeah. stats. It's it's shot attempts. It's not you know we're not talking it's expected very, very goals basic. here, but it's still it's better than <laughs> oh, nothing. It's a lot more than what we have to go off of when we talk about junior players. Junior hockey, um, different things like that. Were but yeah, so, 
Yeah, but in, in 21 games this season in the SHL, yeah. um, Albin Sussex has three points, two goals, one assist. So he's not lighting it up there. Give me a bit, though, and I'll, I'll bring that up. But let's go through Team USA because this is the really the bulk. So Sam Colangelo, he was a second-round pick uh, this summer or this fall. Mm-hmm. God, that's I'm never going to shake that. Um, what are your thoughts on his uh, prospects of making the team? So l- let's run through this real quick. So Team USA, currently, they actually just had to replace three guys on their roster. I believe it probably is due to COVID because they're basically saying they're not available. Uh, all the, the three players that were all removed are all from Boston University. And the, the wording is not available to participate. And so they were replaced with uh, Tyler Clevin um, and Tyler Clevin, Hunter Skinner and goalie Logan Stein. So Logan Stein probably will be on the roster being the third goalie. People think defenseman Tyler Clevin is a lock to make it with how he's been playing. But who knows with these guys being added late if they will just be the cuts. But basically, Team USA is at 29, 29 players in their camp with 25 roster spots. So they have to cut four guys. Um Colangelo being a little bit, uh, being a second round pick, being a younger guy, he may be in that spot where he gets cut. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens, but um, it'd be cool if he would make it. I mean, it gives you another rooting interest on in, rooting interest on Team USA. But if he makes it, it would be in a lower tier role. He's not going to uh, get a high spot role on this team. I mean, Team USA is going to be loaded this year. I think to put it lightly. Um, Trevor Zegras, Alex Turcotte, Arthur Kaliev, basically bringing back a team last year that made it out of group stage and added another year of experience on them. And so this is going to be a really fun, uh, fun team to watch. I mean, Cole Caulfield's going to be there. So I wouldn't be shocked once again. I think this is kind of how I feel about a lot of guys that are, had just been drafted. Unless you're a f- early first round pick, you're never a lock to make your, your world junior team. And so mm-hmm. the fact that Colangelo was a second round pick makes me kind of question it a little bit, whether he's going to end up being there, but um, there is chance. I mean, like I said, there's four players that have to be cut from this roster and mm-hmm. some there will have to be, they have currently one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one or two of those are going to have to be defensemen. So right. if one or two of those is going to be defensemen, that leaves two forwards. So can he beat out some of the guys? I, I think it's really going to come down to the the next week where they they hold camp, and can he kind of get on this roster? Can he beat beat out a Brendan Brisson? Can he beat out a Thomas Bordalo? Can he get on this roster over uh, a Brett Berard? And, and these are the guys that he's probably going to be fighting with for a roster spot. Um, so he, he's in the mix. Obviously, he's on the roster, and there aren't that many cuts left. So there is a chance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there you go, folks. There, there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Okay. How about Henry Thrun? I think feels Henry like Thrun, a lock. I feel like Henry Thrun is a lock to make this camp. I mean, he had a fantastic season at Harvard last year. Um, he's obviously now because Harvard is not playing this season. He has made the transition over to, I believe, the Chicago Steel is where he's playing in the USHL. And I'm pulling up his stats real quick over there. But he's played. Uh, no, sorry, actually, correction there. Playing for the Dubuque Fighting Saints, not the Chicago Steel. I think the Ducks just have so many players on the Chicago Steel. Uh, that's just such <laughs> a blank franchise that it, it, that's where you think of, but he's played in two games so far for them minus two rating, but we know how plus minus goes. So I, I think he's a lock. I mean, 31, 31 games last year in Har- for Harvard, 21 points in those games was a very solid contributor for that Harvard team. You got to think he's a lock to make this team. He's potentially not, he's not going to be a top pairing defenseman though for the you team USA you probably, probably isn't even going to see power play time. I mean, this team has uh, Cam York on it. I mean, you maybe would even think that 
other another Ducks prospect, Jackson Lacombe, ends up getting power play time, seeing as that's more of his role and mold as a power play type defenseman. But um, mm-hmm. maybe he's seen see some time on the the second unit, maybe. But I, I think he's a lock to make this team. Okay, so it sounds like you're less high on Lacombe making the team. I think there's I think Lacombe is in the mix on the defense, but like I said, he's in, he's on that bubble. I don't mm-hmm. think he's a lock to make this roster. There are going to be some cuts. Like I said, four cuts from this roster. Um, there is potential that he ends up not playing and not making this team. I, I think Ryan Johnson, if, I, if I've, I've watched a couple or watched some highlights of Minnesota, I think Ryan Johnson has gotten time over Lacombe um, at, on the power play for uh, Minnesota so far this year. And so that doesn't really um, lend itself well to uh, – for Lacombe making the roster and being on the power play. If you have a guy on the roster that is getting minutes over you on your own team. Um, so I, I think he can make it on the bubble. Who knows how big of an impact he would have. Um, similar to Colangelo would be kind of fun to have him there, have another rooting interest. But if I had to put money on uh, how many ducks would make team USA, I would say probably three. I think one of Lacombe or Colangelo will be on this roster, but I don't think both. Okay. We're going to skip Zgris for now. Just for now, for for reasons yeah. that will become apparent. One thing I did want to point out just before we get to Jamie Drysdale, um, Albin Sunsvik this year in the SHL, 48.46 Corsi 4 percentage, negative 7.94 relative to his team, 7.94%. So 48.4 doesn't sound that bad. It's just below break even. But when he's out there, the, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Skeleftea. I'm not AIK, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. They are significantly worse just from a shot share perspective than uh, when he's not on the ice. So that's, um, it's not great. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to, you know, if these stats are totally worth interpreting. One thing to note is that in the previous seasons he's played there, he's never been uh, this just huge net positive when he's out on the ice. He's either, well below break even or closer to break even, but he's never actually hit fifty percent. So yeah, um, love real to quick, see that. Just as an FYI, Jackson Lacombe currently for the University of Minnesota has two points in six games. Ryan Johnson has four points in six games. Um, also, a player on this roster for Team USA, also on the University of Minnesota, is Brock Faber. Uh, also, has played in all six games, has one point. Also, uh, so. Maybe he ends up making it over Brock Faber, but um, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see on that. I believe they probably have about a week until they need to set their rosters. Jamie Drysdale, lock. Absolute lock. Should be on the top <laughs> pairing, I would assume. Top He'll probably be on the, on the right side with um, with Bowen Byram being on the left left side for that uh, that spot. So expect Jamie Drysdale to play big minute, minutes. He was paired with Bowen Byram a bunch during the pre-tournament camp. Um, and so it's going to be exciting to watch team Canada, see what Jamie Drysdale can do with an elevated, with elevated minutes, with an elevated role. He's going to be, uh, they're probably going to be set with shutting down the other team's top lines. We could potentially see Jamie Drysdale against Trevor's egress in this tournament, which could be really interesting to see those two go up against each other and, and the skating and the creativity of Zgress trying to go up against the skating of Drysdale and see what they can do against each other. could be really fun to see that. Now we finish off with Trevor Zegras, who, I mean, it, it, he's a lock to make this team, right? Yes. <laughs> but from a Ducks perspective, because the Ducks 
I think have to be considered a little bit just for both just from you personally and as an organization do you think it's better for him to play in the world juniors or just focus on getting ready for the NHL camp so I think no matter what in my personal opinion I think playing in world juniors is better I think the only conversation that we could have is if the NHL was going on right now and world juniors would cause him to miss actual NHL games against NHL competition, I think you could have a conversation over whether he should go to world juniors or play in the NHL. But if it's training camp, if it's, um, if it's pre-camp even with how it is with the potential for the only thing he missing is those additional seven days of camp, different things like that. I, I think it's personally a no brainer for Trevor Zegras to play in this tournament. I mean, a lot of players have said that the world juniors is hugely important to their development. And I think the other thing with Zgress that's important for it this year is that whether he's in, if he's in the NHL this year, he's probably not going to be on top line minutes. He's probably going to get it, be getting, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes a night, probably not getting uh, going up against uh, other teams, shut down lines, probably getting a little bit softer minutes, softer matchups to get his feet wet a little bit in the NHL. Maybe if he ends up, um tearing it apart maybe other teams take notice maybe they start matching up top defensemen but in this tournament he's going to get the top matchups he's going to be playing the top minutes i think he's going to be on the top line without a doubt for team usa who knows if he's going to be a center maybe he's playing on the wing of alex turcotte and that's how they split it up but he's the most creative player on team usa he showed last year that he is that and he now has to follow up on that i think that's important for him this year is that he had a great tournament last year now it's about continuing that. It's about consistency, and that's something that's important in the NHL. And I think it's important in this tournament is showing that you can do it. You can do it uh, the previous year on a lower and lower minutes. You can do it this year in higher minutes, and I think that's an important, important situation for him. And it's a high leverage tournament. It's a short tournament. It's two weeks. It's not going to take him out of camp for that long. Yes, there is the risk of injury, but I think what he has to gain from this tournament, especially if he has a great tournament and then can go into camp right after that, I think that benefits him more than just being around, going to, to great parks, skating with guys. I, I think he had just he just has a lot more to gain from uh, a skill level, from a development level on all different fronts, and it doesn't take away from any NHL game time. So I'm of two minds on this. I mostly agree with everything you're saying. Of course, playing in this high-stakes tournament against the very best in your age group how could that not benefit you to go through that? For me, kind of my only reservations are more of the opportunity cost of going. I think that if he goes to this tournament, he's going to come back, be in training camp. And if he does arrive late, which I don't know how that's going to shake out with the way things are, the way the schedule is lining up, I feel like that may diminish the chances that he makes the team out of camp. And then that could extend the time he has to play in the AHL, depending on what the AHL looks like. And that just means it's going to be longer for us to see him in the NHL. And so is that such a bad thing? No, not necessarily. Um, I would just prefer to see him in the NHL right away because ultimately that's where he intends on playing. And I don't think that he's the kind of player who's going to need a ton of grooming in the AHL. I think that Maybe we have overstated just how impactful he will be right away because he is making he's going to be making a significant a significant leap from college into pro hockey. But and there are some people who think that maybe he he made the jump too early. Uh, Craig Button being one of them, who is 
one of the voices that I that I you know listen to on on scouting matters and prospects. So that's going to be interesting. But I would just rather see him give it the absolute best shot he possibly has at making the NHL out of camp and seeing how that goes, as opposed to seeing him play for Team USA. And that's just my own perspective on it. I understand that for his sake, I'm sure he would rather play with his friends, right? Because these are guys he grew up it's playing a, it's with. It's a lot of guys he played with in the, the national yeah, team development exactly. program. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I think, all to me, all these things can be true at the same time. And I don't I don't necessarily think there's a wrong answer. It, me, personally, what I would do is not send him over. But if you do, if and that's what's going to happen, that's that's not a bad thing. Let, let me ask you this. Does it change your perspective if, let's say, camp starts, I don't know, January 10th? And so, so even even mm-hmm. if they won World Junior Gold, that mm-hmm. goes January 6th. So he would be at camp on the start date. Does that change your opinion? Because as of right now, if best case scenario, the NHL starts on to- starts at the earliest potential date, camps for the Ducks would open December 26th. Camp for everyone else would open January 2nd with a January 15th start date. So that means he would potentially, if they make the gold medal game, play until January 6th, then he could come into camp and still have time in camp, that is, before the, the season starts. And so I think you can make the argument there that you're making, but I don't know if that argument necessarily holds up as well if you get into a situation where camp hasn't even begun when the time the gold medal game happens. Well, so to me, even if, let's say, you show up at the... So even if you show up before camp starts or the same day or the day before... You've just gone through this very intense tournament. You're you're not going to be, okay. you're not hitting the ground running, in my opinion, because you're spent, right? You're giving it, in theory, you're out there giving it everything you possibly have to go and get that gold medal, right? To to win the tournament, mm-hmm. and so I think that 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 does take away a little bit from your ability See, to then be at your best in a training I, camp. Now now the now these guys are young and they have a ton of energy. They've been sitting, well, they haven't been sitting around, but they've just been training for the past year almost. And so they've got a lot of gas in the tank. But to me, still, I would just rather see his absolute best attempt at making an NHL team. Real quick, I just want to follow up on that. I actually think it could be a big positive because a lot of the people are going to be kind of going in slow, trying to get the legs about him. The Ducks haven't played in yeah. nine months, different things That's like possible. that. Whereas he's going to have two weeks of very quick games, Back to back to back to back, which is honestly how the NHL season is potentially going to go. That's fair. And so I, I think it's going to be good, uh, a good situation for him on that. So that's basically it there. Real quick, want to mention this. Hockey Boys asked us if there's any word on what's happening with the AHL. The only thing that I've seen or heard on that is listening to a couple different things is that there's, there's no way that the Canadian teams are moving their AHL teams to Canada because it didn't make sense cost-wise for them to play games in their stadiums. So, for mm-hmm. instance, um, Calgary Flames, their team is in Stockton. So, for them to move the Stockton Flames and have them just play in Calgary in the Calgary Stockton, building. Stockton Heat. Stockton Heat. Sorry, Stockton Heat. But and uh, move them to Calgary, play them in Calgary, and just do a Canadian AHL division, the cost was too prohibitive for that to happen. So with that being the case, there's talk of potentially not having AHL teams for those guys, I think, and just doing a taxi squad. So they just have a reserve list that practice is potentially what will happen. So kind of like even the NFL. If, yeah, kind of or kind of like MLB also. And so 
even the AHL is kind of in flux. And so we should not take for granted that there's going to be an AHL season or if there is what it will even look like. There may not be a, a full slate of AHL teams. You may just see, I don't know, uh, San Diego, uh, San Jose, LA or Ontario, maybe Vegas has their team and same thing with Arizona. They just all play each other. And it's almost like this localized little group of teams just to play each other at games and games against yeah. each other at a high level competition. So who knows? There's really, I haven't seen anything official on what's happening there, but that is what I heard on the, the taxi squad situation, which would and be, that, and that does affect the ducks because yes. there's a few guys who are going to be, who are not going to make the team out of camp. And if, or if Lucas, those... Lucas Dostal more likely than not will be an AHL and so what's happening right. there. Yeah, guys who make it, guys who don't make it. There's a ripple effect either way. And like a guy like Max Contois, I mean, he might not make the team out of camp. Max yeah. Jones, right? These are guys who you would expect to take another step forward. But until that actually happens, until you see it, you kind of have to leave open the possibility that they start in the AHL. But so, we, don't know if, we don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah, and so I think that's the biggest thing to know is it, it's not a locked-in-place thing that the AHL is happening. There's a whole lot of iffiness there. But... There That's is. basically it for us tonight. Uh, did you want to go over the fan vote? Uh, I mean, it's up to you. I'll leave it to you. Do you want to save it okay. for the Patreon or take care of it here? Uh, let's see here. One thing I just there, there's a couple couple of tidbits I wanted to go over. Okay, we'll 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 just run through these. So, the Athletic did a fan confidence survey for each team, and uh, just asking a number of different topics, and. They did a scale for some of these, and for others, it was a pie chart. So let me ask you. Let me just ask you if you agree with these. Um, which so this is the first question: Which directions should the Ducks go in in 2020-2021? So 59.2% of responders said push for the number one pick, and 40.8% of responders uh, they said that the Ducks should push for the playoffs. So. Where would you have fallen into? What category? This is 564 uh, responses, by the way. Uh, I would have fallen in to go for the number one pick. I think it's actually respondents, not responders. Anyway, grammar, grammar mm-hmm. issues. But yeah, I mean, that's that's probably what they should be doing if we really are honest with ourselves. Okay, one through five scale. Ooh, five hockey, being the highest. Real quick, Hockey Boys brings up a really good point on the tank Ooh, thing. Yes. If there's a year to tank, it's now. No fans mm-hmm. in attendance, so you don't have to worry about yeah. revenue. True, and you don't have to have the whole, oh, well, someone spent their hard-earned money to come see you, yeah. and uh, you gave them a subpar product. Yeah. So that's that's a good point, yeah. Um, should the Ducks break up their current core? So Getzlaff, Raquel, Lindholm, Fowler, yeah. Gibson, et cetera. Yeah. 60% said no. Yeah, it makes Thought- sense that 60% says no, but the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. How concerned are you about the team's current direction? So... 32% said that was the highest percentage. We're at a three out of five level Where of concern. Where are you seeing this order? I have the article up and it is so different. Uh, well, there's a lot of these. There's a lot of items. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The order I've got is different, but let's keep going. There's a one, two, three, four, and five. I'm so confused. Okay. What do you mean? No, the, I think... Are, are the we x-axis at- is one, two, three, four, five. Dude, We're just keep- not looking at the same thing. We're not looking so at the anyway, same thing at all. So anyway, level of concern about the team's current direction, one through five. Five. The majority of responders sent three out of five. Yeah, it's a five. You would be, you, so if you say five, that means you're in the 
Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Five. What is your confidence level in Bob Murray as a general manager? Can you uh, guess which w- which number was the highest uh, highest percentage? Can I guess? Um, I haven't gone to it, but I bet it's probably two. It's actually three. Thirty six percent. Now should 20, be one. Now three point four percent, which is nineteen people had a five out of five confidence level in Bob Murray. Is that just Bob Murray's family that just all got athletic subscriptions? Those, those are the at people the same that time? somehow. Those are the people that somehow end up in our mentions from time to time <laughs> yes uh okay here's an interesting one what is your confidence level in dallas akins as a coach so the majority was three out of five 46.2 percent but there was 36.8 percent which is not a trivial percentage by any means who had him at four out of five so wh- where would you have landed in that i probably w- i think i would have been at a three i i think my confidence is mediocre it's lukewarm it's <laughs> it's not I'm not overconfident. I'm not underconfident. I think we need another year to see what yeah. actually happens. And I think that's where I, why I end up at a three. We, we also need a better roster, I think, yes. to, to understand yes. what he can do. What's interesting to me is that more people had him at five than at one. And you would think the way last season went that maybe that uh, would have been flipped. So 31 people voted five out of five, and three people had him at one <laughs> out of five. So... Who are these three people? Are they just? I, I, have, I have a hunch. I have a hunch at who the those three people are. We we Benny? know them. We know them. <laughs> Benny, time. We're calling you out. Uh, it's all good. Love you guys. Let me see. Let, let me let me give you a couple more. Just a couple okay. more because it's, it's it's kind of fun to to get your reaction on this. Keep the captain right where he is at the right price. So would you re-sign Ryan Getzlaff? So eighty-eight point four percent of people said yes. They would re-sign him. Where are you at on that? Yeah, you resign him. Yeah. Well, apparently I'm I'm team I, I'm team Getzlaff is great and Getzlaff is untouchable. You are my last article. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You, you you had a whole uh uh a video made about your piece. Yeah. Yeah, it's an honor. It really is. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, okay, let me let me give you one last one here. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, let's see here. Where was it? So who is the Ducks best blue liner and 65.8% of responders, which I would say is a healthy majority had Hampus Lindholm as the best blue liner on the team. And Cam Fowler only claimed and only in quotes, 24.9%. Is there anything about that that surprises you? No. And Lindholm should really? be the Lindholm should be the the best defense or considered the best defenseman on this team. Uh, Fowler was the best defenseman last season, but I Maybe. think Lindholm was the best defenseman. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I think he was the best defenseman last year. Yeah, I think there might be. I think there's still an argument for Lindholm, but I do find it interesting that it's such a overwhelming majority for Lindholm because I think a lot of fans still. At least my thought, maybe athletic subscribers are just not of the same. They're not the same people that I get in my mentions when I criticize Fowler. That it's 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 always felt like people still regard Fowler as uh, the best defenseman on the team. And I guess maybe Lindholm is getting more love than than I expected. Yeah, potentially. Okay, there was another one that I really wanted to bring up to you, but oh, here we go. Okay, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Which colors and logo should the Ducks adopt? So 20.6% of responders said the 2005 to present era, 
which I, I would assume means the current kind of black, or- gold. Orange and black. Yeah. And then 37.4% said something to represent both eras, meaning old and new. And then 42% said the Mighty Ducks era. So where would you fall in this three-way, uh, I guess, split? I mean, I'd end up in the Mighty Ducks one more so, but I would say really? I do want... Not, I, even I, a, not, not even a blend? I think a blend would be nice, but my way of blending is not a mishmash of jersey stuff. It's bringing back the Mighty Ducks jersey and then having a third jersey that's orange and you can have the, the Web D on the front of it as uh, mm-hmm. the third logo the thing is that something th- like that this is specifically about colors so colors colors you i mean i don't necessarily know how you do a blend of both you can't colors. really orange <laughs> and eggplant and jade don't really go to i mean no no maybe just to stick with eggplant and jade just stick with it jade just and orange jade and orange no. um <laughs> no okay no well this was fun this little yeah. mini pod this uh yeah. so we're so just for those um we're going to stick around in our in our live chat here. So we're going to play the Cat Silverman interview so you can stick around and watch that if you'd like. Uh, and for those of you listening on the audio recorded version, we're going to play that interview here in just a couple of minutes. But before we get out of here, as we always do, a few ways that you can support the show. So number one, would you say Patreon is number one? I think Patreon's number one. I think that's that that is the way that you can support us that you as a listener get the most out of it. Agreed. Yeah. So for a dollar a month, you get access to our Discord chat, which is a lot of fun. We're 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 adding different features to that and that's where you can chat with fellow Ducks fans who are tend to be really kind of diehard fans or if you're a casual fan and you're just looking to learn more about the team or you're kind of maybe test some of your, your theories or opinions on the team. I think that it's a, it's definitely a healthy place for discussion, which is not always common on the internet. And so that's for a dollar a month, you get access to that. And once the season begins, which we know it will in the near future, you will also have access to our live chat during the game. So we're going to hop in there during games and just go back and forth with patrons, which is something I actually miss. I miss texting I, or messaging people I'm while excited. watching hockey. And, and, and one thing we should add is that, as we're gonna we're gonna add we'll probably add it to probably the five dollar a month tier. We'll we'll discuss a little bit more. But oh, we're we're bring something on me. Yeah, we've talked about it. <laughs> we we haven't we haven't confirmed how we're gonna do it. But we're we're gonna do some sort of watch along for, for Ducks games, specifically with the Patreon and do it through yeah, Discord maybe, or do it through maybe a Zoom do it through Patreon, something. different things yeah. like that. Patreon I believe has a way for you to do a live stream and so we could do it through there. So um, yeah, we're gonna make we'll, this we'll, we're gonna make this as fun as possible because the ducks being back on our TV screens is reason to celebrate. So we have yes. to make it special. And um, and I keep going. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I want to give a shout out to some of our recent patrons, but I go realized you still have to talk about the five dollar a month here. The, no, the no, big g- one. give them g- give them give them love now. Okay, so it's about them. The the recent ones that we want to give some credit to. Uh, since probably our last show, we had a dollar a month pledge by Christian Carbono. Ginger Wolf uh, pledged five dollar a month, and then we had just recently, December third, Marcus Osman, I believe from Germany, uh, decided to pledge or um, become a patron of the show, and he did something that is new on the show or on the patron. If you want to support the show and you know you're gonna like it, you know you're gonna keep doing it. 
you can do it for a year and get a little bit of a discount. So instead of doing $5 a month um, and that do it for doing it for the whole year and it's $60 for the whole year, you can do $54 pledged ahead of time. You get the whole year for that amount. And so you get a little bit of a discount as a result of that. Danke. Is that how you say thank you in German? I have no idea. <laughs> well, thank you. That's really awesome. I love, love when we get... Uh, different people from around the world tuning in. That's always really cool. Now for $5 a month, you get access to the perks that we just described, but you also get access to two bonus episodes a month. And so if you enjoy the kind of lighter side of the show where we kind of go back and forth, maybe give each other crap or spitball about random topics, you do get a healthy dose of that in our bonus episodes, but we also have an opportunity to go more in depth right? We're not doing these things as much on a schedule with different news items to hit. And so we can really go in depth on different topics that are both Ducks related. We also do league wide topics. So we'll, we'll do rankings, we'll do different things to really give you a, a broader sense of both the Ducks and just the big picture there, but also of the league as a whole. So that's for $5 a month. So you get both the chat and the perks that are coming with that and the, the bonus episodes and you get to support your favorite show. So that's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, a couple different ways that you can support the show that have no financial constraints. Uh, if you just search for the show on Apple podcast, search crash the pond, leave us a rating and or a review. Those go a really long way. Um, they help us climb those charts. They help the show get noticed. They help us keep this thing going because truth be told, we want to keep this thing going as long as we possibly can. And uh, we, we need your support to do that. So the Apple podcast is a great way to do so. We are on YouTube. Uh, and that is a medium that I, I would say is growing for us. Agree, disagree? Agree. Agree. I, and it, it's it's a fun little component. We have a lot of chatter in the comments there. Jake will respond to all of them. He jumps in there like a hawk. So that's I at get, YouTube. I get notifications. <laughs> I get emails about it. <laughs> YouTube.com. <laughs> I have email notifications on for comments on our videos. So if you comment, I see it. YouTube.com slash crash the pond and make sure to subscribe and also have your notifications on so that you know always when our show is going up there. Um, we are on Spotify. So I really want to know. Now, if you've made it this far into the show and you're still listening, if we made it into your top five podcasts of the year, so you know how Spotify is doing your 2020 playlist, tag us. But tag us on, on Twitter, um, at Crash the Pond. I want to see this. I, I'm, I'm curious if we made it into anyone's top five. Um, hopefully someone comes out of the woodwork, but it, it would be interesting. And Jake, just as a forewarning, you don't, you don't get to contribute here. You, you don't get to just plug us. Sorry. Our, our, our show wasn't in my top five. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how, how, how dare you? How dare Sorry. you? Bad Sorry. fan. Um, yeah. okay. But yeah, so, so if, if we made, if we made your top playlist, uh, definitely let us know on Twitter at crash the pond. Um, we do these shows live on Sunday evenings, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Twitch, twitch.tv slash crash the pond. So what are the nuts and bolts there, the perks that people can get on Twitch, Jake? So if you subscribe on Twitch, uh, so first off, if you just follow us, you'll get notified anytime a video goes live. That is something that's completely free to you. If you uh, want to subscribe to the channel, if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch, uh, I believe it's 
Twitch Prime Gaming or Twitch Gaming, I believe is what they're calling it now, subscription a month. You just have to link your Amazon Prime account to your Twitch account and hit that subscribe button. With that, you help support the show in more ways than you can imagine. With that, you get special emotes in the chat. You get a special badge next to your name. And like I said, you help support the show more than you can imagine. We had Ginger Wolf, who, like I said earlier, $5 patron. Thank you so much. They also resubscribed for eight months to the show earlier tonight. We had a couple different people follow us today. Which, so by the they- way, I, I just want to point out how huge that is because the last eight months have been oh, yeah. some of the roughest oh, yeah. that we've ever experienced. We, we, we've had to, to get creative with these shows. Yeah, and so the, the, for the people who have stuck around with us through this, I can't, really I honestly, I can't thank you enough. There, There's no real adequate way, but we are going to, Make this as much worth your while as we possibly can for as long as we can do this. Yeah. Yes. Agreed completely. Good. I'm glad you. I'm glad we agree on something today. That that's that's always we, healthy. We've agreed on a lot. Have we? Yeah, we I have. Don't know. I, don't I think know. we. I think we have. I, I can't. I can't remember anything these days. Yeah. Um, exactly. Which might be a good thing. Um. Actually, probably not. Uh, okay. So. <laughs> uh. Any other items that I'm forgetting here? Nope. Social, I, uh, social media. Apple, Apple Podcasts. I, I, did, Apple po- I did. I well, did. Yep. I did. We just talked about yes, getting things. But Apple Podcasts. Yeah, there you go. Staying consistent. That's good. Consistency is important. Um, check, us, check us out on social media. Check us out on Twitter. Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. You get a healthy stream of Tottenham wrestling. Tot- uh, Tot- Tottenham won today. North London Derby. London is ours. North London is ours. <laughs> So good, such a good sports day in general. Um, you had you had uh, war games for NXT today. Chargers got absolutely crushed. USC won. I mean, that, but you, that, as a Chargers fan, you should almost be happy because yeah. you're you're closer to Anthony so, Lynn being fired. Bring bringing this back to uh, the podcast, Jess, good friend of the show, member of uh, our beer league team. Yes, which uh, I miss dearly, by the way. Yes, said uh, in our Twitch chat, she's subscribing to the channel because she wants to make sure that we can eat. That's good. That's thank, good. Thank, thank you, Jess. You, thank you. You've seen us. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, not going to add anything there. <laughs> um, I am on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. I mainly tweet about the Ducks. I'm like ninety five percent Ducks. So when hockey season comes back, it will be ninety five percent Ducks. I'm me. I'm I'm the yin to Jake Jake's yang on Twitter. It's been a long off season. I've had I to keep, figure out I, things to tweet about. <laughs> <laughs> i've had and, to branch uh, into new avenues are they new though no, no actually you've is there anything that you've added like in terms of what you watch weren't I you mean, watching re- some weren't you watching um weren't you watching like korean baseball at one point i tried because that was the first sports that we could have back yeah yeah Ginger Wolf said that you post more about the ducks than uh, i do i'm like yeah that's probably accurate well, I the thing is, if I tweet about the Canadians, which I'm often tempted to, I I, I get maybe one reply. <laughs> no one cares, so I might as well be relevant, I guess. Um, you don't have those worries, which I respect you for. Um, I just do what I do, you know. That's good. Do do what you do, and then at Crash the Pond, which by the way, just want to point out, I uh, I went a little spree this week on the Crash the Pond Twitter account. So just follow follow you for a say. random spree from whoever. You don't say. Where I, where I made the argument that Derek Grant is a good penalty killer. There you go. I said something positive about Derek Grant. That's that. The, the fun pond. thing about the Crash the Pond account is people can't really tell who it is, whether it's you, me, or CJ tweeting from it. And the only annoying thing is when Troy Terry is given praise, everyone thinks it's me. 
I and, honestly and so might I get, atta- I get attacked your, for it. Your Terry card might be getting revoked soon. It's not revoked. You just also have a Terry card now. I think my Terry card. I'm I'm like a I'm like an executive card holder, and you're you're just a kind of a wow. standard card holder. Wow! Wow! It's, I'm Call bringing co- co- Costco references. <laughs> wow. Costco is very good, but uh, worth it by the way. Um, <laughs> not a sponsor. <laughs> um. What was this I show say? has gone off the rails. I think it's time for us completely, to get to completely. Don't you? But yeah, crashspawn.com, at crashspawn on Twitter. Check us out and enjoy the chat with Kat Silverman, where we sound a lot more prof- professional than we do right now. So have a All good right. one, folks. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the interview. Bye. Bye-bye. And now, very graciously joining us on a very early Saturday morning, uh, thank you so much, Kat Silverman, for hopping on the show. For those who are not familiar with Kat's work, she's the goaltending scout for Elite Prospects. She does scouting reports and player grades there for targets across the hockey world. She's actually a goaltender herself, coach, journalist, runner, has bylines at The Athletic, In Goal Magazine, NHL.com. There's more coming, apparently. Um, just a very decorated person overall and a fan of New York-style pizza, which I think we can all sign off on. So, Kat, thanks so much for join, joining us here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's not that early anymore, uh, for the <laughs> record. It's, it's officially, it's about to be 10 a.m. here. I don't think I can call that call that early anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give you every every out here, um, you know, in, in case anything goes awry, that we can say, oh, well, you know, it was just early. It happens. That's, uh, that's the go-to excuse. That's early always start. the go-to excuse. Yeah, we're, we're all about providing ourselves excuses here. Um, but anyway, so today, because Kat is such an expert on goaltending, on this show, we talk so much about John Gibson and other Ducks prospects. But if we're being honest, mainly John Gibson, um, unless maybe Ryan Miller comes back, who knows? So we figured we might as well get someone in here who actually knows what the heck they're talking about with goalies. So we're just going to run through some questions with Kat. You know, we're probably going to you know, maybe throw in a maybe a little few other questions here and there just to kind of see if anything else pops up. But this should be pretty interesting. So let's just dive right into it. So one thing I just kind of wanted to start off here, Kat, just broadly, you know, I think that when you hear people talk about goalies, there's a lot of talk about, hey, you know, the, the position has really evolved in the last 20 years, right? You had goalies go to butterfly style, Patrick Waugh, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's that's kind of it. That seems where the to be where the conversation ends, at least within mainstream hockey media. But, you know, when you watch goalies today, you know, it feels like even within the last five to 10 years, there's been kind of another mini revolution. Would you agree with that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was there was obviously, like you said, that main evolution where we moved from a uh, from from what we see in those old school videos where uh Bless their hearts, but uh, you know those those goalies <laughs> couldn't stop. They they'd stop like half of the shots nowadays playing the way they they used to. Um, to really really having a such a technically strong position, it's probably one of the most technically nuanced positions in hockey, and that's that's not necessarily bias. I think it's just uh, it's tricky, and it's it's a game of percentages of little tiny minute movements and calculations and. And we did see that massive shift. And then over the last, like you said, five or 10 years, we saw another little shift where we saw these guys sort of move from, from it being this really remote or really robotic uh, sort of 
jerky, almost a, almost a stiff robotic set of movements to uh, to really bringing some creativity back into it, bringing in some influences from around the world. That's been to me the biggest uh, sort of catalyst in the second movement is we're seeing goaltending coaches that can they can work together through Zoom, they can work together through getting together and YouTube clips and Instagram and all of that. And so we're seeing all these influences coming together and, and goalies are getting more creative because they now have three or four different options for, for every save selection that they could potentially make. And uh, so we're seeing, we're seeing sort of a shift back in the direction of maybe a little bit more creativity, a little bit more fun um, can make some, some fans nervous can make some goalie coaches nervous too. watching some of the things that goalies are doing now, but we're seeing them play play the puck more. We're seeing them skate more. Uh, they're not just playing this this drop down butterfly style as much as they did during that first evolution there. So, so what do you think? Uh, kind of the biggest reason for that kind of changes. I know you mentioned goaltending coaches, and one of the things that pops into mind, kind of with the Ducks specifically, is kind of looking back at the Ducks had Francois Lair for so many years as their goaltending uh, consultant and basically taught J.S. Jaguar to play his way. And kind of you mentioned he was kind of that that more so get into the blocking position, being a bit more robotic, not as much kind of free-flowing as we see with John Gibson nowadays. Do you think it's that's it, the goaltending coach? I know you mentioned that, but there's new new blood coming in that came from a different era that are taking kind of that, that mold that Francois Allaire kind of taught and kind of now adjusting that to allow the more freedom guys to use their athleticism, basically. I think that's that's definitely part of it. You know, we saw you you'll still see a few scouting reports here and there where they call a goaltender um, a butterfly goaltender, which I think is super cute because they're all butterfly goaltenders. Now. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're no As not butterfly to stand up. Yeah, right. <laughs> there are no stand up guys left except for like maybe Alex Stalock. Um, <laughs> but you you know we're seeing that shift where all the goalies were playing the same way and. And there had to be this upper hand somewhere, you know, otherwise some guys just weren't going to be able to thrive. Um, And so I think that that's part of the reason that we saw that shift. You know, everybody started playing the same butterfly style and that doesn't, that drop down super robotic thing. It doesn't play to, like you said, the athleticism for some people. Um, John Gibson's one of them. You see guys like Thatcher Demko, uh, Andre Vasilevsky, even coming in in the next couple of years here, guys like Yaroslav Askarov um, playing just that super robotic style wasn't, doesn't really help them much. It doesn't play to their advantages. And so seeing these coaches sort of collaborate together to, uh, to sort of, um, sorry, my daughter just got mad that uh, Sean the Sheep was coming on instead of the other show she was watching. But uh, no, sort of seeing that, that collaboration to help work with the natural strengths of these guys, the athleticism for some, and not so much athleticism as agility, seeing the guys who are more flexible, the ones who have more fluid movement, the ones who have more accurate hands versus a more powerful leg movement, more explosive lateral movement, stuff like that, where we're seeing the coaches start to incorporate that stuff just a little bit more. So, Okay. Well, this is kind of a, kind of an, bit of an off the wall question, but what's the biggest equipment related change you've seen in the last few years? So this is just a nerd question, but I am curious about this. What was that again? I'm so sorry. (laughs) No problem. What's the biggest equipment related change that you've seen in the last few years? 
if That's at all. So tough. That's no. <laughs> there's. Uh, it's actually. I was. I was joking about this at at my non hockey related job a couple of days ago um, when we were talking about the weight change. Um, cause I work, I coach both with hockey and running and, uh, just the weight change technology in gear between both sports running shoes are now like a 16th of the weight that they used to be. And hockey equipment is too. So goalie pads, I still have my old Simmons ultralights. Um, oh, wow. and they, I weighed them on my, like my regular scale just for funsies. I think it was at the end of last year when I was moving <laughs> to a new place. Um, I put them on the scale before I packed them up and, uh, each one of those pads weighed like 9.6 pounds. And you that, look at the weight like of the pads. Yeah, it's <laughs> they're, they're like bricks. And then you see the pads now, especially like the Bauer lines. Uh, Vaughn still to me is a little on the heavier side. CCM's a little heavier than, than Bauer. Brian certainly is. But the Bauer ones in particular, I think they're like under four pounds a piece. And so oh, both wow. pads combined is the weight of one of the pads that I have from probably only like 2004 or 2005. And so looking at that weight change, I mean, the other technology that the material that they use has changed a little bit. Uh, some of the stitching to make it more or less durable. Um, but the weight overall is, it's like night and day putting on old equipment versus new. And, and that's kind of the same with skates too. Um, but that's, I think the skates are another conversation unto oh, themselves. Yeah. That, that was, that, is that, that, was, what, is that what you were thinking? I, I wanted <laughs> I wanted to jump in on that real quick because I remember a couple years ago it was what was it VH came out with their one piece mm -hmm. skate and I believe Ryan Miller was one of the first ones and the biggest thing with him was mm -hmm. he I remember him saying he had different length legs and so he used to have a spacer in one of his skates I randomly huh. remember reading this somewhere <laughs> and wow. because of VH being able to make it as a one piece they made the holder a little bit taller for him. And so it was the first skate ever that he never had to have a spacer in. And he's like the difference in that skate for that and was insane for him. So I was going to ask you about that with that one piece skate. How much of a difference does that actually make in terms of I know on the surface level, it doesn't seem like it makes any difference. But for these guys at the absolute elite level, it seems like it might make some difference with that little bit of energy transfer coming a little bit quicker. Even for even for lower level goalies, like I, I was a big um I was a big graph fan. Um okay. that was that was my skate of choice and and those are kind of like bricks too. I, I, I liked heavy equipment. Um <laughs> I don't know why. And uh the the guy who runs the pro shops here in Phoenix, um, I told him that after I had my daughter, my feet grew. Um so none of my skates fit me anymore. Um and so I told him I was like, I need new skates. Uh you only have one graph and it's a children's size like can you bring some in for me and he said no he was like those things are eight thousand pounds technology has changed welcome to the 21st century let's put you in new skates and he put me in the the, the new bauer skates um okay and they're the ones that no longer have the cowling on them and it was like night and day once again oh. just the weight difference um and so that does make a difference when it comes to skating um because not having that extra weight for lifting your leg over the course of a practice or a game or a back-to-back, -back, um, that's that's huge. Um, but also taking away that cowling, just that little bit of extra plastic on the outside, the reinforcement is on the inside now instead. And so when you drop into butterfly and you're then going to put your skate blade back down to push back off, uh, you actually have a little bit of a lower angle to get to, to get up to the skate mm -hmm. because you're not being mm -hmm. propped up on the angle from that uh, 
from that cowling. And so it actually does make a little bit of a difference with, with your angles as well. And the way that you're playing and where you feel for the ice. Cause you have that, you really have to have that instinctual knowledge of how far you need to move your leg to push off at the speed that, that you want to. And, uh, I was talking with a uh, Arizona Coyotes goalie, Auntie Ranta, about that. Um, it was either his first year in Arizona or his last year in New York. We were talking about it, and he had actually tried them out during the season, put them back in his closet, and then took them out again over the summer <laughs> to work with because he thought it felt great. It was super light, but it was just – it was such a difference when it came to those little, little millimeter degrees um, – for change and for angles and for just his overall spatial awareness huh. that he he wanted the chance to really get used to that during an off season rather than during games themselves and that that was surprising because he got them before I did huh. <laughs> wow. obviously you know the, the pros got him first and uh and then I tried them and and he was right it's it's definitely something that does take a little bit of getting used to and then once you once you get used to it it's it's a dream you're no longer caring weights on your feet but uh and they, they fit better too they're a little bit more contoured um mm -hmm. but yeah it definitely does make just a little little bit more of a difference than i thought it would for sure that yeah that's really really interesting, interesting. yeah i'm i really want to look at those skates a little bit at one point in time but so goaltenders have often been categorized as either kind of technical or they're athletic it feels like they, they try to lump them in one of those two categories. Do you think that still actually exists or we kind of have this blend nowadays and mainstream media just really are, are stuck in their ways and don't want to change their, their views at all? It's uh, I think it's more that they use the wrong, the wrong term there because okay. every time they say that they're like, Oh, this is an athletic goalie. This is a technical goalie. I'm like, what, what about the technical goalie? Do you think it's not athletic? Like, like Corey Crawford, not a guy who makes some of those crazy Jonathan Quick-esque saves, um, yeah. but certainly an athlete, certainly athletic. Um, it's more, I would say, agility versus technical, because um, there are guys who, you know, they play with a narrower stance. They drop into butterfly more than they do make some of those diving saves, the split saves. They, they don't stand quite as wide because both for energy conservation and some of them, their hips can't take it. Some of them aren't flexible enough for it. Um, and so there is a difference there. You see, obviously a, a guy like Crawford and a guy like quick don't, don't look like each other when they're playing even a little bit. Um, but, but using the term athletic, I think is where the media sort of, sort of misses the mark on that because every goalie is athletic. If you're not athletic, you're in trouble. You're not going to make it. Um, and yeah. so when they use that, it's sort of, it almost does a disservice to the guys like, uh, like John Gibson, Jonathan Quick, Marc-Andre Fleury, these guys who really play just a super creative game that involves just a little bit, just maybe a higher incidence of split saves, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, <laughs> it does them a disservice to just say, oh, athletic, because there's, there's a difference between being athletic and being flexible. And, and I think that's where they're sort of, miscategorizing them a little bit yeah we should just start we should just flip that and call them either unathletic or untechnical <laughs> how that goes. um well so you you brought up john gibson and we should probably get to that at some point so he is definitely an athletic goalie i think that we can agree with that i mean is there you know so how would you just describe like his game overall is there maybe an element of it that 
just the average fan, the average commentator, you know, might not catch what, what are we all kind of missing or what are you seeing in his game just overall? Um, I think he's, he's very economical with his movement. Um, I, I was on a podcast earlier in the summer and I might've implied that he looks like he's baked all the time. That, that, just, sounds, that, that sounds accurate. Honestly. So, and oh, I was, no. As soon as I said it, I like, I, I, I wound it back really fast and was like, please on the record. I don't think John Gibson smokes weed. <laughs> I was like, let me, let me go on record as saying that, but no, he just, he doesn't move unless he needs to. And he does play without wider stance at times. And he does make those split saves because he can, but he, he doesn't move quite as much as like you compare him to a guy like, like Jonathan quick, who's some like just right up the Nelly who, if he's not moving side to side at all times, I think he he might just combust. <laughs> and so he's moving constantly. And then you see John Gibson, who if he doesn't need to move, he doesn't. <laughs> and so that almost makes it look sometimes when he does allow a goal, like he's being lazy. But I think he's just, he's very conservative with his movement. And that's part of why I think he's continued to thrive over, what is it now, three seasons, almost four of a, being battered with 30 shots a night, 40 shots a night, yeah, something, yeah, something yeah, in that general. Night, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that's part of why towards the end of the game, you don't really see him slipping. You see some of those guys who really move all over the place if they have to play a back-to-back. I think Mike Smith is a great example. Um, a guy who moves maybe, maybe a little more than he needs to um, and does all right with the adrenaline for the first game. And then if he plays a back-to-back, he tanks it that second game he's done and you don't really see that from a guy like John Gibson so that's to me the biggest the biggest thing that stands out in his game is that he could he could play a back-to-back I don't think it's being nice to him but he could and he'd do just fine yeah just just to quickly follow up on that with Gibson he does remind me of that goalie when you're growing up who's just really good and is playing at a lower level and just doesn't really (laughs) need to try that hard like in (laughs) warm-ups and he's just standing there (laughs) pretending to get in his stance. Um, But his personality is also very much like that. He's just a very laid back, back. doesn't really say a whole lot, at least to the media. So it is funny that that's kind of where your mind went initially, because that's just seems to be kind of who he is. So, and it works for him apparently. So. Yep. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because that is a complaint that some people have about him. So it's, entertaining that you kind of keyed in on that but that is honestly like you said kind of his trademark and one of the things that makes him so great is his ability to kind of be a little bit more relaxed not take everything so seriously and kind of be more economical with his movement so part of the reason though last year though now that we're on gibson that they went uh that they were so bad last year is that he went from being a uh top three goalie in the league to i mean per gsax he was below average last year do you kind of have any feel for kind of what made this change happen? What was, was there a difference in his game? Was it uh, one of the things we've speculated on is just after all of the years of facing 30 plus shots, it finally got to him last year and uh, it was more so an exhaustion type of thing. Is there anything that you kind of saw in his game that kind of led, led to that type of performance? What was the difference there? That would, that would honestly be my best guess. Um, We see it from, from every good goalie who faces huge workloads. Uh, we see, we saw it from Braden Holtby, Fred, Frederick Anderson. That's a, 
he is no longer in Anaheim, but he's unfortunately facing the same situation where he's being vastly overworked up in Toronto. And then they're surprised when over the back half of the season, he no longer looks like, like a Vesna candidate, you know, back half of the season into the playoffs, he looks tired and he looks kind of sloppy and mm-hmm. his game just isn't where it used to be. And, uh, I didn't watch as much John Gibson as I used to. Um, I used to watch most of the games that that were on it at a time that I could just because he was so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And it reached a point last year as delicately as possible where watching California NHL hockey <laughs> was self-harm. <laughs> it wasn't yep, fun watching say. any of those three teams. And so I didn't, yep. I didn't watch nearly as much as I used to. Um, but just just the exhaustion. He looked a little sloppy on certain things. His timing was just a little bit off. And that's even though he's good with his movement, I think there's there's a level of mental fatigue that comes from playing as many games as he does and playing again against as many shots as he does and playing behind uh, the lack of structure that he did, you know, having having such inconsistency and not not necessarily to the detriment of the players. You know, that's not to insult the players that are on the ducks right now. They, there's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of, (laughs) uh, a lot of departures, a lot of young kids coming in. Uh, That's, that's hard to, when you're the goaltender behind a very young team, look at back East, what happened with Henrik Lundqvist. He, he had quite a few new additions to the team who weren't super experienced. The old ones were, uh, were, we're a little older. Um, we saw the same thing in Chicago. And eventually that's that's just hard to keep up with mentally as a goaltender as well, even if you play in a way that really keeps you as as physically ready as you can be for for that style of play. Eventually it just it's hard to read it. And I think that's we'll we'll see. Obviously, we didn't get a chance to see during the play-in round, like with uh with Carrie Price and Corey Crawford, they were guys who, after getting some extra rest, they came back for the playoffs and looked amazing. Um, we unfortunately didn't get to see that from John Gibson because the Ducks did not make it. Um, but we got, you know, an extra rest after that too. He'll, it'll be, it'll have been what nine months at this point, maybe oh, wow. ten by the time he uh, he gets a chance to play another NHL game, and it's not rest through injury recovery he's getting rest through legitimate rest and i think we'll we'll probably see him bounce back because of that yeah there's going to be so many guys i think around the league who are going to benefit so much from that time Mm -hmm. off because this is just so unprecedented but um you know we jake did bring up the the statistical element of this with gsax and that is a predominant component for our analysis when we talk about goalies here on the show with those stats like evolving hockey's Goal saved or expected. So for you, just personally, when you're scouting or, you know, are there numbers that you prefer to look at when you're evaluating a goalie, you know, either pro or amateur? And just in general, how do you think goalie analytics or statistics could be improved or what's working there? What's not kind of what's your what's your overall view there when it comes to goalie stats? Um, Honestly, I, I think that they can be improved uh, in every area because it's easy to come up from ground level. Goalie stats are, they're, they're yeah. terrible. Um, and part of it's because with no disrespect to evolving hockey and to some of the other publicly available data companies uh, and trackers, the publicly accessible data on goaltenders is not super accurate. And uh, 
I've, I've been lucky enough to work with Elite Prospect and Ingle Magazine where we have access to some of the more privatized data. Um, we have data from some of the companies that work. Um, we have data from some of the teams and the numbers are, in some cases, they're kind of close. In some, they're, they're super far off. And so, wow. Wow. and so I don't use a lot of the numbers unless I'm allowed to reference ones that are being used by, by the private companies just because the numbers aren't super accurate. And so what we're hearing about one goaltender using Evolving Hockey's numbers versus Natural Stat Tricks numbers versus uh, ClearSight Analytics, uh, one goalie can have three completely different results from all three. And that's that's not necessarily a criticism of them. That's, that's more a criticism of the NHL because um, the tracking data that they're offering is pretty flawed. Um, so, so yeah, everything can be improved there. Um, it's hard to say which number I'd use just because it's all wrong. <laughs> fair enough. Fair but, enough. Yeah. <laughs> but looking at it, not from a, I try not to do it from a comparison standpoint, but at least from an individual standpoint. So looking at John Gibson's numbers over the course of a full season, against himself because if the data is being tracked inaccurately in Anaheim versus Chicago or Anaheim versus Minnesota um, through the NHL, at the very least, you're getting fairly consistent data for one goalie on his own team. And so you can at least look at how his numbers are ebbing and flowing and compared to prior seasons, which mm. so looking at his expected, expected save percentage and stuff like that, you can, you can kind of compare himself to himself. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. but comparing it to the other goaltenders, uh, I found to be pretty tricky. And that's, huh. that's been to me, one of the hardest parts about doing any sort of goaltending analysis is when you go to use the numbers, your hands are a little tied still. So I, I love that even in the NHL, it's just like in beer league, you can't rely on the shots being you accurate <laughs> when you're looking at that. <laughs> How you is can. this still an issue when you get to the, <laughs> To well, the highest it's, level. it's amazing. We'll sit there at, at Coyotes games and I've, I've sat there at some games in, in other arenas too. So it's not just the guys at, mm -hmm. at Gila river, um, not to, not to call them out. Um, but we'll sit there and the shots that are showing up on the scoreboard <laughs> are completely different from the numbers that people are seeing on the TV screen. And then they're different from the ones that are listed on the NHL website. And it'll That's take cool. like 20 minutes for it to finally like come together <laughs> And have like a universally, uh, like, I think it was this past season. It was either this past season or the one prior. We were sitting there and we watched as the scoreboard started taking shots away in real time during a period against one of, it was either against the Coyotes goalie or against the opponent. And we just kept watching the shot count get lower and lower. And we we're like, what is, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> it just kept oh. going down. And finally it went down. I think a total of like four or five shots in the first five minutes of the game. And oh. that to me is just, it's, That's so it makes good. it very hard to, to accurately compare goaltenders, especially when we're using the live tracking data. Like when we're looking at, I'll use it like the game flow charts from natural stat trick and stuff like that. They're, yeah. they're awesome tools, but they're, they're still not super mm -hmm. accurate and that's not yeah. their fault. That's the NHL's fault. <laughs> so okay. yeah, that's sounds, fair. So, sounds about right. So can I want to piggyback off, off this question though, speaking of analysis, um, 
what's your biggest pet peeve when it comes to like national broadcasters in the way, or even local broadcasters? I mean, the ducks, they have Brian Hayward, who's a former NHL goalie as their, uh, as their color commentator. What's your biggest pet peeve in terms of what you hear them talk about in terms of analyzing goaltending and kind of what needs to be done on the national level, local level to kind of better the analysis that we all hear on TV? Because I mean, as a Ducks fan, what I've always my biggest issue is that that's the person that the majority of the fans use to inform themselves. And so the only way that you can get a better fan base, more educated fan base is with better analysis on television. And so what do you think kind of needs to be done on that aspect or what do you think needs to be improved? Um, it's, it's hard because from, from color commentator to color commentator, there's, there's a lot of variance there. Um, I think that the golden standard, honestly, uh, not to make Ducks fans mad, but is the Kings. The Kings color commentators do a really good job. <laughs> and that covering the Coyotes was very hard to admit. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But looking at what, what we get from the color commentary in Anaheim, which is, it's full of a lot of generalizations sometimes. Yep. And, yep. and the, the hockey talk. And then in Arizona, we have Tyson Nash. He's, he's good for, for a few jokes. Um, and then a lot of, outdated terms like ladies tea um oh, but yeah that was yeah. Other, than, other than that we don't get a lot of in-depth analysis and then with the king's broadcast i mean they'll bring out their marker they're like the weatherman oh yeah and they'll, they'll start drawing plays on the screen during breaks in play during intermission they'll talk about systems and and part of that to me is the king's broadcast team talks to the coaches all the time and they talk about okay what is this systems play what do i call it how do i explain it um you see it i think it's huh. philadelphia um because they get um they get brian boucher a lot okay as one of their one of their commentators and um he does the same thing he'll talk about some of that breakdown of systems and plays and and save selections and that that takes homework you know you have to even if you played the position in in Tyson's case, you know, five or ten years ago. In Hayward's case, a while ago. Thirty, <laughs> like that. You know, thirty. Even if you even if you played at some point, you you have to sort of humble yourself and talk to the coaches about what they're teaching right now, what the goaltender is working on, so you can say, "This is the style they're playing. This is where they made a mistake. This is what they should be doing." Um, and just just learning, you have to sort of soak it up. Um. I think we could stand to see a lot more of that um, when it comes to the broadcast teams. Um, I, that's to me, that's probably it. My biggest pet peeve is uh, when they talk about huge saves. So tired of hearing about the huge saves. So tired of hearing about them because usually the huge save is a uh, is the one that shouldn't have happened in the first place. <laughs> right. You know, you'll have a save that was just so a, Jonathan Quick. a sloppy mistake. Yes, yes, the Jonathan Quick saves are uh, when they talk about him having the save of the year. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. I'm I'm happy for him. That's like dropping your baby and then managing to catch it before it falls <laughs> on its head. Like, I guess that's the save of the year. Cool. That's, um, a great, that's a great analogy right there. But... I mean, it's kind of a brutal one, but yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Though. Does the job. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what what drives me a little crazy because that is like you said, that's what um that's what a lot of fans get their analysis from. And so they'll, you'll see a, a more, a more quiet goaltender um, sort of get, 
get ignored by the broadcast a little bit because they're not doing anything overly crazy. They're just sort of they're just sort of there. They're making their routine saves, and then like Darcy Kemper makes some kind of hairy saves sometimes, and we'll hear. Oh, that was that was a must save, beautiful play by him, saved the game for the team. And and then you sort of follow that narrative. And it it just that's that's my pet peeve. I could go on about that for a while, but but it's yeah, getting better. It, We're seeing more more improvement in that area from from certain broadcasts. Yeah, I have so many thoughts on what on everything you just said, but just <laughs> I have I'll go with three things. So one, I think Hayward has gotten better over time. I think that a little bit, a little. It kind of makes sense what you're saying that with because Jim Fox is a madman, but in the I think the best way possible for an analyst (laughs) because he just there's just nothing that he won't comment on. Um, you know, in terms of the systems (laughs) and what how the players are playing, which is good. That's what you want. And I think Hayward has kind of allowed himself to either do more homework or just kind of be a little more unfiltered. It's it's good there. Um. But it is funny that you m- mentioned the big saves because as someone who used to play goalie, I used to idolize the top 10 saves. You know, that used to be watching those top 10 saves in NHL.com was just that was I loved watching those because I thought that's, you know, that's what the great goalies do. And right. now that I've and now that it's been a few years or I mean, going on many years, I haven't played. I realized a lot of the saves are just kind of lucky. Right. I mean, I not yeah. to bash goalies, but. You know, there's an open net. The guy happens to shoot it into his glove or hits, you know, shoots into the center of the net and that manages to hit the goalie's pad. So it is funny that you mentioned that because, yeah, those saves are not really they're not bread and butter saves at all. Um, But speaking of pet peeves, this is a big pet peeve. And, you know, 17 year old me would hate to hear this because I was a goalie who loved playing the puck. But I feel like nowadays, you know, what's your view on on goalies and their role playing the puck? Because it seems like with the game being so fast that it kind of does. I mean, you talked about Mike Smith and I mean, no need to say much more there. So what's just kind of your view overall on, on goalies playing the puck? Um, I think it can be done properly. Uh, okay. it's, it can be, it can be a benefit. Um, we saw it in St. Louis. They're a team that, especially when they had, uh, when they had Moose, when they had Brian Elliott there, um, that's a team that really used their goaltenders as a part of their defensive breakout strategy. They didn't always let the goaltender, you know, fly out of their crease. They didn't go out to the face-off dot, but they were the one who was expected to retrieve the puck from behind the net and then send it back up the boards. Um, and that's something that they worked on in practice. And then in contrast, the Coyotes are a team that does not do that anymore. <laughs> Rest in peace, Mike Smith. Um, you know, they when they brought Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ronson, and I've talked with both of them about it. That's the team strategy is goaltender does not go behind the net unless no one else is there. You know, you can go back there if you're trying to kill a little bit of if you're trying to, you know, speed the game up a little bit. You don't want to wait for your players to come all the way back and loop around. But if the play is in your end, the players are the ones who go behind the net to retrieve the puck. Um, and those are established systems for St. Louis versus Arizona. And I think both teams do a good job when they do play the puck because they know what they're supposed to be doing. Um, we see Corey Crawford's a guy who's an underrated puck player, in my opinion. Oh. Um, Henrik Lundqvist is not. Um, <laughs> and so guys who have a clear set system, um, who have worked on it with their defenders, who know exactly what they're trying to do, I think that's okay. Um, because you're you're essentially adding an extra guy out there who knows how 
to handle the puck properly. So you're getting, you know, you're getting three defenders in your own zone essentially. But then you have guys like Mike Smith who there is no rhyme or reason to when he plays the puck. Um, there is no, there is no parameter set for how far he will go to play the puck. Um, and there's no real, <laughs> there's no real precision between where he plays the puck and he can do it really well. Um, I know that Kevin Woodley at Ingle magazine actually gave us some of the data and the net positive for Mike Smith playing the puck in terms of controlled zone exits was higher than the number of goals he allowed, but that is a really low bar to me. But, w- um, but wouldn't, so- <laughs> wouldn't a goal be much worse? One goal be much worse than 10 successful zone exits be good? I mean, anyway, sorry. I ha- would, this is a pet I peeve. When, so. <laughs> when they broke it down, I mm-hmm. think that technically his his playing okay. the puck was a net gain. Um, okay. I do not well, agree. I don't, I don't agree trust with the numbers. that. Oh, I don't. I don't trust <laughs> the numbers on that at all. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> I think that even if it looks like it's working, you have to consider the confidence level it gives your teammates. And I am not super positive that Mike Smith's teammates are confident how can that he's going be? to play the puck the right way. Because we've seen, right? We've seen him how many times in the last in the last two years alone go behind the net to play the puck do it wrong or try and body a guy off the puck, which is not his job. <laughs> and then essentially allow an empty net. I know he did it on a, on Jerome McGinley's number retirement night in Calgary. He ruined that night for Calgary. Fans. <laughs> um, I think they lost that game like four to one and at uh, least one or two of the goals, he was behind the net and it was wide open. So, so yeah, I think that's, it's a pet peeve of mine too, but I've been trying just from an, evaluation yeah. and analysis standpoint to be a little more open about it because I don't want to to unfairly minimize the impact that it can have for a guy like like Spencer Knight. He's he's a good puck player. He does it a lot, but he's smart about it. He's not he's not Mike Smith. So. Yeah, but come on, Mike Smith scored an empty net goal. He has to be a great <laughs> puck player, right? He also scored a goal with his butt. So I think that's balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that says it all. yeah. All right. So the Ducks had a little bit of news in the last little bit that Lucas Dostal is officially coming over to America. And this is, this kind of was exciting for a lot of different Ducks fans because he's kind of gotten a big shine to him over in playing in Liga, putting up some really good numbers last year, starting off this season uh, really, really well, but kind of looking at some scouting reports of him, even till now, the, the biggest knock on him is his size. And with him being six one, so first off, kind of, what are your thoughts on Lucas Dossel? What have I don't know if you really have been able to watch too much of him or do uh, enough of a scouting report on, but what are your thoughts on kind of Lucas Dossel to start with? I love him. I'm his number one fan. He's uh, my ride or that, die. That, that's, um, that's great. I like that. He's I, like my ride that. Um, I, I I tweeted about him. I think it was about a month ago or so. I was doing a a top fifteen NHL affiliated goaltending prospects, and so it was guys who are not, they, they all had to be Calder eligible. So unfortunately, Igor Shesterkin ended up taking the number one spot because he technically still counted as a prospect. Um, okay. He's still Calder eligible. Um, oh my God. Um, <laughs> Isabel, no bells. Thank you. No bells. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> does anybody want a four-year-old? But yeah. Um, 
And I put I put Lucas Dostal somewhere right around the middle of the pack. He wasn't he wasn't in my top five that spot. Okay. Those spots unfortunately went to guys like a like Igor Shostak and Spencer Knight, um, Connor Ingram, who guys who are I think are essentially NHL ready. Um, they're just you know maybe half a season away from being there, if not already there for Shesterkin. Um, but I put I put Dostal right in my like seven to ten range. Um, I think he's smart. You see a lot of Czech goaltenders and I think we sort of fall into the the habit of stereotyping just based on national development. Uh, a lot of Czech born goaltenders play a little bit like Peter Morazic, which is kind of okay. stressful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of stressful. He's he's chaos personified. Um but Dustal really isn't. You know, he plays more of a controlled game. He's got the athleticism. He's got the agility, but he uses it a, a little bit more conservatively, almost like almost like a John Gibson type, where where you get that that agility, that flexibility. He can make some of those really acrobatic saves, but he doesn't do them unless he needs to, and he doesn't spend a whole lot of time outside of the blue paint unless he has to. Um, I also think he's super fun. He. Uh, a guy crashed his net during a game in Liga, and instead of letting the guy come back out, he stood up and kept moving to keep the guy in the crease behind him until the until the whistle was blown. Um, so I did tweet a video of that a while back because that that cemented it That's that he's great. like he's my number one. But <laughs> no, I think he's I think he's great. Um, I think that anybody who's concerned about him being six foot one, uh, I think Jonathan Quick is six feet tall. Mark Andre Fleury is six one. Tuka Rask is six one. Corey Crawford is six one. Maybe six two. Uh, Auntie Ranta is six feet tall, and I think that's being super optimistic for him. Um, <laughs> he might be under that. Anton Hudobin is five eleven. Yaroslav Halak is five yeah. eleven. You know, they're most gold. I think Carey Price is only six one or six two. Outside of guys like uh, I think Andre Vasilevsky is six one. Outside of the guys like Ben Bishop. Uh, John Gibson's kind of a big boy. Um, Thatcher Demko is a big boy. Jacob Markstrom. You know, they're big goaltenders, but the majority of them are in that 6'1 to 6'2 range. And if he's half an inch off on these these guys that are 6'2, oh, no. Um, yeah, size yeah, issues. Yeah. So exactly. I think if he was if he was five foot nine, I know I was watching uh, Dylan St. Cyr um, for Notre Dame <laughs> last night. That's a little kid. I think he's probably my height. Um that's that's a concern. That's the height where you have to kind of wonder if he's going to thrive at the NHL level. But for a guy who's six one, I mean, that's that's yeah. the average height for goaltenders. Anyone who's worried about that is is getting worried about the wrong things for the yeah. moment. So that makes complete sense. Out of curiosity, where do you project Lucas Dostal to kind of end up if you you had to right now? Do you think he becomes an Six NHL starter? Winner. A what? Six time Vesna winner. Oh, I'm kidding. Boom. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like no, it. It's sad now. No, it, 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 it's on this podcast. <laughs> going Here comes your six-time Vezina winner. No, I think I have him uh, for elite prospects. I know we're uh, we're doing our our player rankings and our grades right now, and I don't remember exactly what I have him as. Um, they they have a scale of one to nine. Nine is the best goaltender in the league, like a generational talent. The only guy who I have listed there right now is Yaroslav Askarov. Um, Spencer Knight is an eight. Um, Dominic Bass, who's a Chicago Blackhawks prospect who can't skate. Um, he's currently a 2.5. So <laughs> I think I have Dostal ranked at about 
A seven or seven point five. Okay. So seems good. A quality NHL tandem or starter. I think he's he's very clearly going to establish himself in the NHL unless he takes a major step back when he hits North America, which I don't really see happening. Um, and then I, I have him as the team's projection, you know, where I realistically see the team using him. Um, I think he'd probably end up sitting sort of second fiddle to John Gibson, but potentially shifting into that starting role unless they bring in someone else that they value higher than him. Yep. in the next couple of years, which at the moment, with no disrespect to Anthony Stolarz, who's uh, the nicest guy in the world. I love him to death. Uh, great interview. I don't think he's the goalie of their future. Um, <laughs> so I, I would assume that Dostal is who they currently have projected as their their heir apparent right there. So. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, we've talked about it a bunch. Stolarz at this point looks like he may be the NHL backup this season, pending well, how Ryan Miller plays out. Yeah. Ryan come back, yeah. yeah, and then Dostal yes. being the, the starter in the AHL probably is kind of where it looks like. Yeah. It, it, it's probably going. Yeah, well, for a while it was supposed to be Ole Eriksson Ek. That was the heir apparent for the Ducks. And that he makes that me went, a little nervous. That He's... that 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 went how it went. <laughs> <laughs> So. He's okay. He's but no, I think we've got more more of a structured game for for Lucas Dostal. I think he's a little bit more uh, a little bit more technically sound, and I think he reads the game a little bit faster. That's mm-hmm. with a lot of the, I think about half of the Czech prospects that it look like NHL projection guys. Um, about half of them play like Dostal, where they they have more of a technical game with a really good read, and then the other half play like Peter Mrazek, where they have. <laughs> more agility they their reaction speed is elite I, i'd put them in the top you know one percent in terms of reaction speed but their game read is not where it should be um and the, the game structure in the czech republic is just a little different from north america so they they read the game just a just a little, little bit different um sometimes they have to play catch up on the plays um but that's not that's not something i've seen from just okay. rocks. yeah well it is funny that Dostal has become this I mean, this elite prospect, because I remember just watching him in training camp last year, the year before he always just stood out as this is how a goalie probably should be playing just in general, just sound not too crazy. And so it's nice to see that story unfold, but it is interesting because reading the Eric Stevens article at the athletic, the big profile and Dostal, how you had at least a couple of people, if not three people say, Oh yeah, worried about the size. And it's just, it's silly. It really is silly. But anyway, Jake, did you have anything else you um, wanted to hit? I think that's it from me. Okay. Well, I have a last one for you before we get out of here. Um, Gibson in shootouts and also sometimes in games, <laughs> but really in shootouts has tended to use the two pad stack poke check or the flying poke check. I want to describe it. Is that a good safe selection? <laughs> um. <laughs> oh <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't know if good is the right word um I I grew up a big Johnny Bauer fan um my family's oh, from yeah. Toronto and so he he knew my family that's that's who I was raised wow. to believe is is a like the pinnacle of goaltending and he sort of he sort of created that that two pad stack poke check um so I'm biased I think it's awesome but uh I think you have to use it correctly and I think maybe with the defensive structure that the Ducks have, it is not the best safe selection because once you make that poke check, like you're done. 
you yeah. might be able to like do the worm to get yourself at a slightly different <laughs> angle on the ice, but you're not, you're not getting back up to push back across the crease when you're, when you're in that position. So you really have to trust that the rest of the team is going to, uh, to bail you out. And I don't think that the ducks necessarily do, but no, as long as you're mixing it up in a, in the shootout and you don't, you don't sort of cheat and project that you're going to do it um, too often. Cause then, then guys are going to know you're, you're doing it and sort of dance around it. Uh, I think it's, it's a great, it's a great shootout move. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily use it in, in too many games. Yeah. I think there was a shootout where he did it twice. So, and I think they asked him about it or they asked the goalie coach about it. And they said that, yeah, he's just, he's just having fun out there fighting off boredom. So there you go. <laughs> It, ma- it makes sense. It, it makes complete sense. Well, Kat, this was an absolute pleasure. Um, this was a lot of fun uh, just getting into goaltending. I feel better for this. So Agreed. before we head on now, why don't you just let people know where they can find you, what you're up to, just uh, plug some stuff here. Yeah, they can uh, They can find me on Twitter at, uh, I think it's at Kat M. Silverman. Um, and I, I have a couple where we're doing our, our team prospect profiles for for elite prospects right now i am not in charge of any particular team right now i'm just doing the goalies but uh so for each team if they have a goalie ranked in their in their top prospects uh i'm doing the scouting reports on those um i do have the the team yearbook for uh for mckean's hockey is coming out in the next i think it's in the next couple days here um and so I'm sort of breaking down. We're about to see my child. <laughs> yeah. Ma- yes. Making an appearance at the end of the show. First four per- <laughs> the first four-person pod. Yeah, I'll be breaking down what each team's uh, tandem looks like, which I currently have just like a, an anxious face emoji um, for the Ducks because I did my, my <laughs> yeah. John Gibson one, and then I don't know who's going to be their number two. Um, but yeah, I, I have those coming up and then a couple other things down the pipeline, but, but those are, those are a little ways off. So, well, Hey, thanks so much for having us. Maybe we'll do this again in the future. Once, uh, Lucas Dostal has just, uh, claimed his sixth Vezina trophy we'll see, <laughs> or maybe just his first, who knows? Uh, I guess we'll have plenty of opportunities there, but, uh, thanks everybody for listening. If, um, so I think we're going to put this in. We're going to, Jake, you said we're going to plug this into the episode, the recorded yeah. version. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I don't have to do all the plugs. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for having, or for coming on. Thank Bye. You. Bye.